0: Welcome to the Bailieu Podcast. Please note the information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. Welcome to the podcast, a very special welcome if you are a first time listener. My name is Nick Burgess, this is the ELNC Bailey Podcast and this is where we attempt to make sense of the market and by that I mean the Australian stock market and global investment markets generally. On this podcast, we talk to members of the ELNC Value Research Team regularly to get their insight. We also talk to some of Australia's leading fund managers when they have something interesting and valuable to say. We also talk to many CEOs of ASX-listed companies um, if we think that's interesting as well. And periodically, periodically we catch up with this gentleman for his insights on the global economy and the outlook for markets, as well as his views on asset allocation. That man is L&C Bailey's Chief Investment Officer, Malcolm Wood. Mal, welcome to this new and improved version of the Bailey podcast.
1: Delighted to be here, Nick.
0: Wonderful. So, given we might have some first time listeners uh, on this edition of the podcast, let's do a little bit of a stock take. Let's revisit the last couple of months. It feels, you know, frankly, like a couple of years, but actually, it was only a couple of months ago that things got very, very serious from a, a health perspective around the world. Let's recap from an economic perspective the last couple of months.
1: So coming into the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the US economy was beginning to accelerate, partly due to Fed rate cuts, partly due to um, the benefits of the uh, trade deal with China and the resolution of the uncertainty associated with that and partly, I think, due to the ongoing positive support from uh, the federal government. Uh, Europe was beginning to get a bit of a benefit from those sorts of factors, as well as uh, the trade resolution. And, of course, uh, China, after the headwinds of um, of, of the trade war, uh, would certainly have benefited from uh, resolution. So that was before. Then, of course, in... Uh, I guess it was late December, but really early January, uh, we started to hear murmurings of a virus uh, coming out of China. Um, By late January, the Chinese government had gone into lockdown just before Lunar New Year. And uh, in February, markets sort of started to say, oh, this is okay. China's managed, or China slash Asia has managed to contain this. Uh, We've got out of this uh, fairly well scot-free um, it's a China uh, issue. And then of course, it uh, spread beyond uh, China uh, and uh, came into major global economies. and that's when markets uh, markets really sold off very quickly. And I think we had what uh, what most would say was the fastest bear market in modern times. Hmm. And, um, and and it was in late March, when we saw an aggressive policy response and signs that the the rate of uh, infection was beginning to peak, that uh, we saw the market started to re- rebound. And of course, that's been a powerful recovery, uh, led by the U.S. market, but uh, pretty well globally, uh, a strong, uh, a strong rebound. Having said that, we're still down, uh, well off the uh, the pre-COVID highs. In most equity markets. So
0: that's a quick recap. Okay, so let's talk about um, recovery. Firstly, from an economic perspective, Mal. Previously on this podcast, you've talked about a U-shaped versus a V-shaped recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's you know revisit that. What do those two things mean, and how is Australia shaping up in your view at the moment?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the way we define these th- these two scenarios is a V is a short, sharp. Uh, lockdown, something in the range of two to three months in effect in in, in duration and uh, something that is more than offset by the policy response so the fiscal and monetary stimulus in response to that uh, health uh, health threat uh, outweighs that. So the net effect is a pretty strong recovery when things restart. That's the, the V. The U is one where the lockdown is more uh, extended. It takes uh, a lot more effort to get on top of the pandemic in a country um, as a consequence that chews through a lot more of the policy response. And so the net policy response when you start to recover is is less significant and, of course, the recovery is a little bit more cautious as well. So they're the two key scenarios that we've been thinking about. The third one, which is a sort of an L-shaped pandemic where we actually never get on top of it, uh, is one that we've thought of as a, uh, a, a an outline risk, and we still think that's an outline risk. So how are we tracking on those? Well, we think that Australia is really in shape for a V. Uh, so our lockdown, uh, and of course our lockdown was less severe than elsewhere, lasted for five to six weeks. Um, it, it, we started to uh, uh, turn back on some sectors uh, after Anzac Day with uh, elective surgery, and now we've got uh, retail shops uh, opening again, and we expect uh, that to continue and to 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 lead to other sectors uh, that have been closed opening reopening again. Over the next one or two months, so that very much looks uh, very much like a, a V. Secondly, and I think this is where Australia could also differentiate itself. Um, we think that the the process and the criteria the government's established for restart is pretty impressive, and I think these obviously that's designed to stop. Um, a second wave, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it will also give people confidence. One, you know, the rate of infection in the community is extraordinarily low, so I'm not that likely to get infected. But two, um, if something does happen, uh, we're going to know about it quickly because we're testing extensively. We're going to be able to get on top of it quickly because of our tracing capability, the new app, etc. And, of course, we've created all this capacity in our health system, yeah. Uh, to deal with something that's dramatically worse than, uh, than than, where we are at the moment. So I think that that will help create confidence, uh, which should mean people spend when they get the chance to.
0: For some context, um, your view on Australia, just thinking about Australia in isolation at the moment, you know, it's a big turnaround from your perspective mm. because mm. You, know, you and I oh, talked yeah. previously on this podcast for a couple of years about some of the constraints and some of the headwinds in the Australian economy. So
1: yes.
0: from a stimulus perspective, we've compared the recovery to the problem, but the recovery versus the you know, Australian economy of, of sort of three to six months ago, what's your yes. thoughts from that perspective?
1: Oh, it's fair. It's, it's, it's night and day. And um, the key is that this pandemic has acted as uh, a catalyst to break the, the constraint of fiscal policy. So fiscal policy has been a drag on growth for the last few years, as the government sought to get back to uh, surplus. Um, and uh, there was this, this refusal to use fiscal policy to stimulate growth. And of course, or for the better part of a decade, Australia's reform process has basically ground to a halt. Some would say gone into reverse. So those two things there have been holding us back. And now we've just flipped the switch where um, we're talking 12% of GDP and fiscal stimulus here in six months. I mean, this is like uh, compared to 4% during the GFC, just to put it in some context. Uh, So this is massive stimulus Um, unprecedented in in peacetime uh, in in a very short period of time, and it seems to be being delivered very quickly. So vast difference there. And, of course, uh, with the uh, credibility the government's gaining from dealing with this, we think that the door to reform is reopened. So that could be positive as well. I think the other thing to bear in mind here is that Australia's reputation globally should be enhanced by the way in which we deal with this issue, Uh, So from an international education, tourism, migration perspective, I think Australia will see positive benefits from this uh, over the long term.
0: Okay. So that's Australia. Let's um, talk about the rest of the world and how um, it is shaping up. There's been a host of economic data over the last week or so. How do you place the Australian uh, perspective in a global context?
1: Well, it's uh, just one of those things, if you can't be good, at least be lucky. And, you know, we've certainly had our share of luck uh, in dealing with this. But I think we've also been, uh, uh, um, I think our our policy response has been singularly impressive. So some of the statistics going into this, um, we had retail sales from Australia uh, just uh, uh, earlier this week, our retail sales in March were, um, were were astonishing, of course, as people stocked up on food and, and other items, uh, so up over 10% year on year. Uh, a similar number, not exactly the same, but a similar number for Europe, the uh, Eurozone uh, is down 9% year on year. A similar number in the US is up 4%. Retail sales in Australia have gone from being pedestrian to uh, certainly stronger than that. And then a the second number that just came out uh, was our trade numbers and uh, helped by the restart of China where um, demand for iron ore has held up very well, uh, we saw uh, our exports up 8% year on year. I don't think anybody else in the world is seen rising exports in March Yep. So, again, we're quite different to most other uh, countries uh, from that perspective. So that was going into it. Then if we sort of say our lockdown was less extreme than we've seen in Europe particularly, and, of course, the, uh, the, the number of uh, cases and, uh, um, and deaths is, you know, as, as the Treasurer said, about 100 times uh, higher in Europe than in Australia. Um, so, you know, the, 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 we can't even compare those issues uh, 50 times higher in the United States. So, again, uh, a point of comparison that is very much in our favour, um, albeit a, you know, a very sad one. Okay.
0: And so from a V or U-shaped recovery, um, Europe and the US, you know, leading economies, what are your expectations there?
1: Mm, yeah, I think that um, I, I would still think US fundamentals are better than Europe. Um, Europe uh, doesn't have the ability to coordinate fiscal policy like a – uh, should I say a normal country, um, but, but uh, you know, trying to get uh, 19 countries to agree on anything is difficult um, at the best of times. Um, so that, I think, is a constraint for Europe. And, of course, you've got some very high debt loads in countries like Italy, which have been uh, really hit hard by this. So Europe's faced with those challenges. Um, I think the US, in the US, uh, it's actually been a tale of two uh, of two parts, um, the northeast badly hit by uh, the COVID-19. Um, most of the rest of the country actually looks better than anywhere in Europe. So it's sort of a bit of forty states okay and ten states that look pretty bad. Uh, so on that score, you'd sort of think the Americans should come back uh, faster than the Europeans, and the Europeans have got some of those uh, balance sheet challenges. Uh, which will be tested because of uh, just the nature of the European Union.
0: I just want to delve into unemployment um, for a second. So so what are the current expectations for where unemployment will peak post this crisis in the US, in Europe? Mm. And how does Australia compare to that as a starting point?
1: Yeah, so um, the indications are that uh, the US has seen a dramatic decline in employment um, we had a, a ADP employment survey last night, where employment fell 20.2 million in the month. That's off a base of private sector employment of 120, 127, 129 million. So a dramatic decline, uh, something like over 13% decline in employment in one month. So, you know, the US went into this with, with an extraordinarily low three uh, percent unemployment uh, it's obviously going to go into the high mid to high teens here uh, Europe um, actually went in with a relatively low unemployment rate as well uh, I think 7.3 7.4 which is as low as it's been for uh, 20 years um, so again a, a good starting point point. and historically the European labour market's not as flexible as that at the US so I'd be surprised if we see quite the same calamitous decline in employment in the US, in Europe, as in the United States, but uh, definitely um, uh, unemployment going into the teams there. Uh, By contrast, um, I think the expectations are that uh, our employment, uh, according to the government's uh, uh, ABS-ATO survey, has fallen about 7.5% since this started Uh, so far milder uh, decline, and uh, so that should should be consistent with un- our unemployment going from five into the low double digits. Uh, and on our view, of course, that will come back down pretty quickly uh, as uh, we restart and the stimulus really starts to take effect here.
0: Yeah, and as we've talked about before, one of the keys to that employment um, you know, number or managing that number has been the fact that our lockdown didn't get to the extent that most of the building sites you know, construction industry across Australia the single largest employer and most of those building sites stayed open um, yes that's right I just wanted to play devil's advocate for a second and you know part of this podcast is that we test each other on uh, some of our uh, some of our thoughts and theories in Australia mal let's let's say that unemployment proves to be stubborn and problematic and hampers growth in Australia more than say you're expecting now or that ideally the government, uh, was anticipating. What levers does the government have at, at its disposal in terms of stimulus to encourage that unemployment rate down?
1: Well, we we already have substantial stimulus in train. So just to give you a sense of some of the uh, stimulus that's hitting right now, We've, according to the treasurer, uh, earlier this week, we've already dispersed more than twenty billion dollars to small business. That's that's more than one percent of GDP uh, just in the last few weeks. Um, The job uh, seeker program has seen its um, its its benefit double uh, to roughly eleven hundred dollars a fortnight. So again, uh, that's a big income benefit to. Uh, people looking for work uh, here in the short term but the big one is JobKeeper uh, which is estimated to cost uh, 130 billion dollars or six and a half percent of GDP over six over six months and this is where the government basically pays employers to keep their workers and the point we're making on that Nick is that most sectors which have been uh, most aggressively hurt by uh, this, 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 uh, uh, this lockdown, uh, like the restaurant, food service sectors, um, accommodation, um, tourism-related, uh, retail, uh, these are the most casual, part-time, uh, lowly paid parts of our workforce, and in many instances here, people are getting significant wage increases. So you add all that up, uh, that's stimulus of about 12% of GDP um, over a very short period of time. So I would be very surprised if that doesn't prove to have uh, some effect. Having said that, um, you know, we get to uh, August, September, if, as you suggest, um, things are proving uh, unexpectedly stubborn, you know, Australia's balance sheet is still going to look at least twice as good as anybody else's. Uh, Australia's national balance sheet is going to look at least twice as good as anybody else's at that point. So um, I would expect we would, we would certainly still have very low bond yields and, and the government would have the ability to do more fiscal stimulus at that point in time. So really the key tool that they would have at their disposal would be to do more fiscal stimulus it's pretty hard to cut interest rates when they're already at zero, mm-hmm. um, and uh, 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 so it would mainly be fiscal policy.
0: Okay. So, uh, along those lines, uh, your latest research piece um, available to l and clients is entitled Stocks for the Australian Restart, published on the 6th of May. Um, for context, today is Thursday, the 7th of May. Um Let's deal with the sectors first. You know which are most affected and which are least affected from your perspective, uh, and then let's identify <coughs> some of these stocks that you think will perform well in a restart context.
1: Yeah. So an unusual feature of Australia's lockdown has been uh, has has been that several of our key sectors have been uh, virtually unaffected. So, as you noted, Nick, work on construction sites has continued uh, almost unaffected. Um, So there's a demand issue uh, down the the track for these sectors if nothing changes, but work has continued. Um, But the big ones, the mining sector, uh, ably supported by China's restart, and uh, the farming sector, which is benefiting from uh, the breaking of the drought in most parts of uh, eastern Australia, those two parts of the economy have been unaffected, in fact, maybe doing better uh, on the back of the way things have evolved. So that's really helped us. So the sectors that have been um, most affected are the ones that we just noted, things like uh, retailing, but really here it's discretionary retail. Of course, food retail has done very well. Um, and we've noted you know companies like Wes Farmers with Bunnings Business, that's done well. Uh, JB Hi-Fi has done well. So um, that sort of household goods sector also seems to have done well. So it's really the discretionary part: uh, clothing, uh, restaurants, department store sales would have been most adversely affected in that space. You know, clubs, pubs, casinos have been closed, so that part's been pretty hard hit. Probably equal, well, equally hard hit has been the uh, airline industry. Virtually no international travel, of course, but domestic. Um, has has closed or largely closed down, except for um, flights to, uh, to to regional mining centres. Um, so that's been a, another one that's been uh, hit pretty hard here. Um, and then um, the real estate sector, with um, you know the 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 shutdown of auctions and so on, has been been hit pretty hard as well. So they'd be some of the key sectors that we think have been hit hard by this, and hopefully can uh, benefit from a restart.
0: Okay, so you've identified 10 stocks to think about that will benefit from a restart. Um, Let's quickly uh, run through them. And I guess we should say these are suggestions and should be viewed in the context of a diversified portfolio. So this is part of the conversation you should be having with your financial advisor. But um, nonetheless, things to think about, uh, Mal, on these 10 stocks.
1: Yeah, and of course, you know, this is a big change for us. We've been emphasising what we called global leaders for the last couple of years and on the view that Australia was struggling and the currency was uh, had significant downside risk but uh, that was then uh, now we, we we think it's really the opposite so you know as uh, as you've noted Nick these are domestic focused stocks um, that we think will benefit from um, a pickup in uh, in in growth here um, so um, in the banks Commonwealth Bank and Westpac uh, we think uh, if there, if our economy rebounds, the expected surge in bad debts just won't happen. I've already touched on Wes Farmers where its Bunnings and Office Works businesses have been doing well. But, of course, it's uh, an extremely well-positioned, diversified play on Australia. If we see restart of casinos and domestic travel, companies like Star Entertainment, Event Hospitality and Qantas should benefit. Transurban, where um, you've got the added benefit of North Connects and the new M5 opening in the first quarter of uh, the next next fiscal year, we think they will benefit from a rebound in uh, in activity. And then there's a sort of a couple of housing related names that we think have been hurt by uh, the uh, the shutdowns: um, uh, REA and REESE. And finally. Um, if we see a rebound in Australia that that, that entails um, people looking uh, for work again, uh, SEEK as the dominant online jobs uh, classified place should benefit from that. So there's 10 names to to think about for um, restart in Australia.
0: Okay. And it's probably worthwhile. We do like to finish with your preferred asset allocation to bring um, all of the different pieces together that we've discussed.
1: So, we, again, we've made dramatic changes over the past two months in our asset allocation. We were significantly overweight international equities, unhedged, um, expecting uh, them to outperform and for the Aussie dollar to decline. We've, we've changed that quite a bit. We're now significantly overweight Australian equities. Um, We're still overweight international equities, um, but less so. Uh, We've hedged quite a bit of our currency exposure. Uh, so we, we now think the Aussie dollar can head higher. Um, and uh, having said that, we're still underweight fixed income with uh, cash and uh, bond yields between zero and one and likely to stay there for the foreseeable future. So uh, overweight growth assets, particularly Australian equities, uh, underweight defensive assets, uh, particularly bonds where we just don't see a good risk reward.
0: Okay, Mal, uh, there we go. Thanks for your time. We'll no doubt speak to you soon, um, but there we go, our first full episode of the L&C Bailey pod- podcast in the public domain. Um, coming up in a few days, we'll be checking in with Nick Cayley and his thoughts on the Australian banking sector. They're obviously a large part of the market, and major banks are key dividend players, so keep an eye out for that. We'll also follow up some of the points that Mal made on the Commonwealth Bank and and Westpac. Um, Also, over the next few weeks, we'll also be joined by one of Australia's best-known fund managers, so stay tuned uh, for that as well. Mal, thanks again. Thanks, Nick. All the best. Thanks for listening, and until next time, goodbye. You have been listening to The Value Podcast. The information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. You should not rely on general advice without making your own inquiries or your own assessments about the suitability of the financial products or services mentioned.